Welcome to the PapaCast. On the gridiron. Now here's your host, Bob Papa. Welcome to another edition of the PapaCast. As we get you set for the 2016 NFL Draft, and there's no better way to get focused on the draft than with Pro Football Focus, Steve Palazzolo of Pro Football Focus joins us. You can follow him on Twitter, at PFF underscore Steve. And more importantly, you need to pick up the Pro Football Focus draft guide. Steve, we, we appreciate some time here today. And talk about why this draft guide is so important for fans that really want to learn about the prospects and what this draft may or may not look at. Well, first off, thanks for having me, Bob. Really appreciate it. And, you know, the draft guide, I'd say... You know, it really takes all of the immense data, the mounds of data that we collect during the college football season, which is grading every player on every play, all 850-plus FBS games, and then taking that information and, and looking at it through the draft lens and projecting guys to the NFL. But there's some unique stuff in there. You know, how many pressures does a guy give up to his outside versus inside shoulder? You know, how many missed tackles is a running back forcing? How many drops, passes? does a wide receiver have and putting that all in contact all in context against the rest of the draft class and then there's some unique data in there we graded every snap of the senior bowl practice had an exclusive partnership with them so never before seen uh you know results essentially from senior bowl week and every single practice rep is in there so i think there's a lot of uh one-of-a-kind type of content that will really get everybody ready for the draft and then how can people go about getting it uh, profootballfocus.com, there's a subscribe tab in the upper right. You click that, click on the draft guide, and, and enjoy it. And Enjoy and jump right in. All right, let's get into a little of the nitty-gritty. And obviously, we always want to talk quarterbacks because that always seems to be first and foremost. And let's face it, if you look at the National Football League and you look at the teams that have won significantly and won Super Bowls, it's all about the quarterback. The rules are all skewed to the passing game. It's all about throwing the football now. And outside of Russell Wilson a couple of years ago with Seattle as a third-round draft pick with Marshawn Lynch being the bell cow, the teams that win the Super Bowls all have these stud quarterbacks. So everybody's trying to find that guy. Is there one in this draft? I think so. I, I love Jared Goff. I think everything that he brings to the table – translates to the NFL. You know, when you talk about those top QBs from Brady to Manning to Breeze to Aaron Rodgers, they all have similarities with his, you know, they're all great in the pocket. They all have great accuracy. They can handle pressure. Uh, they fire through reads and get to their second and third read. And I think Goff has a lot of those traits. You know, he's, uh, he was outstanding against pressure with, with Cal. You know, he had an offensive line that was, wasn't great. So he was, he was taking big hits, making big-time throws down the field. Uh, he read, went through progressions, found his second and third read, handled the blitz, and I think he did a really nice job of elevating a subpar Cal team in a pretty deep Pac-12 conference every single week. Even though they didn't win a whole lot of games, I think relative to their talent level, I think Goff really elevated them. So I really like a lot of what he brings to the table, and I think it does translate to the NFL. And then, you know, Carson Wentz is a little bit of a different case. He's more size, arm athleticism you can see the tools you can see uh where the potential is but there's you know a little bit of doubt in some of that other stuff can he read progressions can he get to that second and third read you know does he see the field 
quickly enough. He's a little bit late in the time from a timing standpoint in the past game. So I think there are a few more questions about Carson Wentz, but can certainly see why a team would fall in love with him. But I really like Jared Goff. I think he's going to be a successful QB. What about Paxton Lynch? Because he brings some pretty unique skill sets to the table, doesn't he? He does. And, you know, when you look at that offense, too, it's um, a lot of screens, a lot of behind-the-line-of-scrimmage type of stuff, a lot of easy reads. And he, he, they rolled the pocket quite a bit. I think about 20% of his passes uh, were outside the pocket, which, you know, in the NFL you're, gonna, you're talking about a handful of a game. So, it's going to be an adjustment for Paxton Lynch, but when you just isolate some of the work he does from the pocket, he makes some special downfield throws. Uh, he's shown that he can go through reads, make quick decisions. He didn't put the ball in harm's way all that often last last year. So I think there is a lot to like about Paxton. I just think that there is a little bit more of a learning curve for him, and I could see a team maybe taking him, or I'd be comfort- more comfortable taking him in the second or third round uh, rather than maybe hitching the wagon to him uh, right in the first round. So that's where I see Paxton. I do see him as a third option behind Goff and Wentz. You look at this draft, and obviously uh, Laramie Tunsil is someone that a lot of people have projected to be in the first overall pick. My question to you is, it felt like at one point when you took one of these big-time offensive tackles and, and these guys went early in the draft in that first round, it was almost uh, – as safe a pick as you could possibly get. It feels that over the last couple of years, the guys that are projected to be these top 10, top 5 offensive tackles, the batting average isn't nearly as good. Why do you think that is? Oh, man, I could talk about this one for hours, the you know the safe offensive tackle pick. I think there's a lot of reasons that go into it. I do think in the past, if, if an offensive tackle just showed up for work and started games, I think we almost uh, essentially called him a hit. And I do think, you know, some of the work we've done at Pro Football Focus has, you know, quantified offensive line performance a little bit better. And we're seeing that some of these former top picks, you know, haven't been that great, even if they are starting all 16 games. But I think more so now in the league, you're talking about uh, a pass-heavy league. And I think you need two offensive tackles to mitigate the, the great pass rush. We saw what the Broncos did, you know, in the Super Bowl on their entire run, just destroying offensive lines but I think my point is the value of the left tackle itself I think is actually diminished a little bit because you know teams continue to pour massive resources into one side of the offensive line which is that left tackle when I do think a better approach would be to have a little bit more balance across the entire line because look at where you know where's J.J. Watt Justin Houston Khalil Mack Vaughn Miller Cameron Wake all those guys are beating up on right tackles in this league so you can't really hide poor pass-protecting offensive tackles. So I do think teams need to take an approach where it's not so much this heavy investment in just one side of the line. I think they actually have to you know, spread out the resources a little bit. But I, I think we've just hit a run of uh, you know, some poor offensive tackle play as far as first-rounders go. And I, just, I think the team should approach it a little bit differently and, and not just bank on this future 10-year safe starter, so to speak. You know, it's uh, it's interesting. The movie The Blind Side starts with Lawrence Taylor, you know, injuring Joe Theismann, and suddenly, you know, the pay scale went up for left tackles and and the pass yeah. rusher. You know, the conventional wisdom was the best pass rusher is going to come off the quarterback's blind side, so to speak. But when you take a look at the offenses now in the NFL, and so many teams are just working out of the shotgun on any given down, 
there really is no blind side at this point. Yeah, sure, when the quarterback right-handed eventually drops back, it is his blind side, but it's not like taking snaps under center and taking these five- and seven-step drops. It, it seems to me that defenses have also become so multiple that they just move the pass rushers around, which speaks to your point of you need balance on this offense. It's no longer the left tackle protects the blind side and the right side guy has to be the big power road grading guy because that's every team's going to run right-handed. A lot of that conventional stuff has gone out the window, hasn't it? Yeah, that's, it's absolutely right. I, I actually did a study on it a couple of years ago, and the first thing I looked at, I said, when a left tackle gives up pressure and when a right tackle gives up pressure, how does that affect the quarterback? And, you know, in the study, it actually came out passer rating, completion percentage, almost everything was just as bad, whether you're pressured from the left or the right. And then, again, you add the fact that pass rushers are moving around. And then I would add to the point, I think, the way the league's moving with the spread offenses, quicker passing game, more of a spread running game, I think it's easier to hide some of those lesser offensive linemen with a quick passing game. I think we saw it with Brady and the Patriots last year. Once they lost Julian Edelman, he started to face a lot more pressure just because he had to hold the ball a little bit longer. Uh, you know, Similar things happened with Aaron Rodgers not having Jordy Nelson. I'm almost to the point right now, I think wide receivers and the guy that can get open quickly is more valuable than ever. Whereas I think this left tackle was almost viewed as maybe what the third most valuable player. You know, you get the QB, you get the pass rusher, and you get that left tackle. But I think that left tackle value is diminishing because there are other ways to to hide that player, so to speak. Not that you ever want a bad player, but I think you can get away with more average to subpar play on the offensive line in today's NFL. Hey, just think about it, right? To to support your point, how were the first points of the Super Bowl scored? They were scored on a safety. Where'd the pressure come? Wasn't from Cam Newton's blind side. It came right at him with Von Miller, who just whipped That's his right. guy and forced the fumble. Yeah, that's it. It, it, it. And if you think about it, it's almost worse seeing the pressure. You know, if you're the quarterback, you're more likely to react to it. Uh, it's funny because I actually put fumbles into the study a couple of years ago, and there there are just as many fumbles from the right side as there are the left. Uh, and then the other part of it, if you're throwing to the left, you know, you're not your blind side's immediately being protected by the right tackle now because your eyes are to the left side of the field. So I think there's a lot of things working against the idea of having that cornerstone left tackle and being a little bit more balanced across the line. You mentioned wide receivers, so we'll, we'll shift to that a little bit here. Um, obviously, over the last couple of years, we've seen some guys come into the NFL and just put up some crazy numbers. Is there that kind of player in this year's wide receiver core? I don't know that there's that, that big number one. You know, Odell Beckham a couple of years ago, we saw Mike Evans show flash, flashes of that number one. I think Amari Cooper... Uh, can really separate himself from the rest of last year's class. But this year's class has a lot of depth, and it has a lot of quality receivers. I love Corey Coleman from Baylor. He's coming from a, a limited offense, but you see that speed. He can get down the field, make contested catches, really separates well on underneath stuff, and makes great does a great job after the catch. Uh, Josh Doxson from TCU, I have him in a similar boat as Coleman. I think he separates pretty well. Uh, unbelievable body control on downfield passes. He was our highest-graded receiver last year before he got hurt. And then there's a lot of depth beyond that. You know, We're high on Leonte Carew from Rutgers. Uh, there's two Michael Thomases in the draft, one from Ohio State who's a really good route runner, and then another Michael Thomas from Southern Miss who uh, did not get invited to the combine but is, really has excellent body control, great on contested catches. 
uh, underrated type player. I, I know Laquan Treadwell is getting a lot of hype at the top of the draft. We see him more of a, more as a back end of the first round type, but big, you know, big body size can make those contested catches as well. Separates on slants. So I think there's there's different flavor of wide receiver in this draft. Sterling Shepard's another guy, great route runner. Uh, there are guys in this draft that could fill that quote unquote number two wide receiver role and be extremely productive in the league. Do you get hell bent on the forty times for the wide receivers? I know in talking with Bill Poley and the Hall of Fame general manager, he you know he said to me that look, we're just looking for benchmarks. We're just looking for certain guys to fit underneath a certain time, in and around a certain time for a position group, which we feel translates. Obviously, in the case of a guy like Treadwell. It's not an ideal 40 time, but that doesn't preclude him from having success in the NFL, does it? It, it doesn't. I would be more concerned when I look at Treadwell. It's not the 4-6. You know, when I look at him on tape, I watched him. I said, he looks like a 4-6 guy. So if he runs in the range that I expected, that's really not going to change my evaluation. I looked at Will Fuller, and I said, he looks like a sub-4-4 guy. He plays at a different speed. And then when he runs that fast, I don't think there's any need to you know, change your evaluation on him. I'd be more concerned about Treadwell creating separation at the intermediate and deep level just because he didn't show it on tape in college. I think he's pretty good on slants, can use his body. I think he's much closer to a possession receiver than he is a big play, big play type of guy, which is fine, but I think you're, that's why we're looking at him more as a late first or early second round type of player. But yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't overrate 40, especially if it matches what you see on tape. You know, slot receiver used to be almost like a dirty word. It was almost like, you know, you were, you were saying something nasty about a guy. You know, he's nothing more than slot. But when you look at the way offenses have to attack defenses now with all these pass rushers and it's all about getting the ball out of the quarterback's hand, is there going to be, in your opinion, more of an emphasis put on guys that have that skill set? Yeah, I think they get elevated a little bit. Sterling Shepard's the classic example. He's a slot, but hey, what's the slot now? It's a it's a starter essentially. You're on the field, 65, 75 percent of the snaps. So I think Sterling Shepard's probably the best slot receiver in the entire draft. He can still win on the outside a little bit. You know, I don't think he's uh, relegated completely to the slot. But when you have a great route runner, you know that it's huge for an offense. And I think it also depends on the system. Obviously, a team like the Patriots will rely heavily on their slot receiver. A team like maybe Carolina is trying to get the ball down the field a little bit more to their outside guys. So I definitely think team scheme will be a factor there. But I think all really good slot receivers get bumped up a notch nowadays than maybe a few years ago. Uh, let's go to the other side of the ball. And obviously, you know, there are some guys that can get after the quarterback. And, you know, Miles Jack is one of those people that has been talked about a lot. Where do you see the greatest strength on the defensive side of the ball in this draft? I'd say it's the defensive interior. I think it's a it's a deep class. It might not be a group that has a bunch of elite uh, interior pass rushers, but as far as stopping the run, this class is is unbelievable. You have Jaron Reed from Alabama, Ashawn Robinson, his teammate, both really stout at the point of attack. Guys like Andrew Billings at Baylor, uh, DeForest Buckner, I think is the is the best in the class as far as an overall package of interior rusher, and he's just a classic uh, 3-4 defensive end playmaker against the run. Then you have guys like Robert Temdiche, who's more of an upfield penetrator type, could end up becoming one of the best interior rushers in this class. Another sleeper that we love is Chris Jones from Mississippi State. I think he's got some technique work, but uh, you know he's got 
he's got room to improve, but he was extremely productive for us as a pass rusher and against the run at 6'5", 315 pounds. So I think there's a lot of different styles of interior rusher that no matter what you need from a scheme standpoint or if you're looking for a guy to just be stout at the point of attack or a guy to get up the field and affect the quarterback, I think there's a little bit for every team in this draft. Are there enough quality corners coming out to keep up with the demands that the offense puts on these defenses today? Because it feels like every team in the NFL needs more corners, and it's hard-pressed to find them. Yeah, there's, it's tough. I mean, it's. It, I think you're seeing a lot of the, the best athletes on the team playing wide receiver. I think you're seeing that all the way back to recruiting. I think a lot of these top top athletes are having a choice. Do you want to play offense? Do you want to play defense? And a lot of them are playing receiver, but I, I, I like the top end of this cornerback class. I think, you know, Jalen Ramsey, you can call him a corner, call him a safety. I think he's just a great football player all around, but beyond him, you have William Jackson for, from Houston that we're really excited about. He's over six feet tall. He's fast. He has good movement skills, was extremely productive for us. And then a couple other guys that I think will, you know, the NFL is looking for these six foot plus corners, but you have Vernon Hargraves from Florida, Mackenzie Alexander from Clemson. They're not six feet tall, but great movement skills can really match some of those shiftier receivers. And I think you need those guys. You need somebody to cover Antonio Brown, maybe not a six foot one type of corner. So I think Hargraves and Alexander are a couple first round type of prospects. And then Eli Apple from Ohio State, I think has some potential as a man press corner. He's more of that six foot uh, you know, long type of cornerback that the NFL is looking for. But I think it's a little bare in the middle rounds. And what you see at cornerback is a lot of these six foot you know, size speed guys get elevated, maybe as potential first-round picks, but I'm not sure that they have the, the game tape and there's a lot of projection to their game. So I think there's some risk with some of the other, with some of the tall corners that haven't really done it as well on the field. Are there some of these guys that you see a corner that potentially the NFL could be looking at uh, to play free safety? Yeah, I think that's always uh, a potential progression. I think that that is the way the NFL is going. So Jalen Ramsey is the obvious one candidate of a guy that could be that cornerback free safety hybrid. We saw it with uh, Devin McCourty of the Patriots a few years ago, Aaron Williams of the Bills. I don't know that there's a perfect candidate in this class right now. I've looked at most of these corners as projecting to corner, but I think the NFL, where you want to be able to match up with opposing offenses, you want these guys to be able to match up with tight ends or play a deep center field role, I think it makes sense to, to stack up on corners and then you know, see what sticks, and then if, if somebody doesn't stick, you know, give them a shot at free safety. And what about this? I mean, last year it was pretty thin. Even the free agent market was pretty thin. And, you know, the safety, uh, the free safety is such a, an important figure in today's NFL with tight ends being able to stretch defenses and the multiplicity of the passing game and the offenses. I mean, are there any guys that jump out at you out of the safety class that you say, hey, you know what, this is a guy that can make an impact, or are they just – a lot of guys that can play and serve roles, but is there anything special that you see? Yeah, the only guy that really sticks out is Carl Joseph from West Virginia, and the NFL just has not been developing free safeties, and I think it's in part because they're taking corners and trying to move them, or or to the point earlier, maybe the, the college colleges aren't really putting their best athletes at safety, they're putting them at wide receiver, then corner, and then maybe safety as a as the third option, but I think Carl Joseph from West Virginia uh, very impressed with him early in 2015, played multiple coverages, played center field, played in the box, and made plays everywhere they put him. So I think he's the type of guy that 
is a first-round type of prospect. But beyond that, you have a guy like Von Bell, who's more of a, you know, too high safety. I think he can, you know, maybe develop, do some good things. Uh, a guy I really like is Kevin Byard from Middle Tennessee State. He might be the best pure center fielder in the draft. But again, I'm not talking about a guy that's going to be a potential first-round pick. He's more of maybe a third or fourth-round type of value. So I'm not enamored with the safety class. I think there are a few uh, starters mixed in there, but. Uh, definitely, you know, it's been it's been weak at safety coming out of college the last few seasons. All right, final question. It goes back to the quarterback where we kind of started, and uh, you know, when you when you look at the quarterback position, and we talk about, you know, the offenses now are geared to getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands to negate the pass rush, quick passing games, whereas. 30 years ago, 40 years ago, quarterbacks had a lower completion percentage because the offenses were a lot more vertical. But you still have to be able to push the ball down the field with some level of accuracy. Who do you, in your opinion, throws the best deep ball that will translate into the NFL? Oh, man, best deep ball. It's a guy that's not even going to get drafted, but he's a guy that I would want in camp on my team, and that's Matt Johnson from Bowling Green. Uh, one of our analysts described him as, you know, doing everything wrong before the snap. In other words, he's too short, he's a terrible throwing motion, but he drops the most beautiful deep ball you've ever seen. And I don't know if the NFL is going to look at him uh, in that light, but I think he, I would actually take him as a developmental prospect. I think Goff, Goff does throw a really good deep ball. I think you saw some of his, uh, some of his better passes. And then if you look at just, uh, you know, the deeper – you know, stick-type routes. Connor Cook from Michigan State, who I think is very inconsistent on the short stuff, but he can make some special throws. And I think Cook is the type of guy that can win some games for you, but he'll also lose some games for you. But there's value in at least trying to invest in that guy that uh, can read defenses and make some of those big-time throws. So Matt Johnson's our guy, though, Bowling Green. I don't know if he ever gets a shot, but, man, he threw – he threw some beautiful passes last year, some of the best we saw all year. All right, we'll keep our eye on him. Steve, um, once again, give our listeners uh, the, the skinny on how they can get access to the Pro Football Focus Draft Guide and access to all of the great stuff that you guys do during the course of the year. Absolutely. It's at profootballfocus.com. We've got draft content coming out every day, mock drafts, big boards, all the fun stuff leading up to the draft with our own unique insight. And then the draft guide, there's a subscribe tab up in the upper right of the site. For $9.99, you get all of this unique content on over 400 players in the entire draft, stuff you can't see anywhere else. So we're excited about it. It's our first ever guide, and we've gotten some good feedback on it so far. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It is fantastic, and it's a must for fans that really want to get a in-depth sort of take on all these players that uh, are going to be drafted and you know, hopefully your favorite football team lands some of these guys that you guys have highly touted. It's a different look. Uh, it's a really good look as far as melding uh, game tape, what you guys see scouting, what the buzz is, and trying to marry all that to the NFL. Steve, we appreciate the time. Great stuff. Fans can follow Steve on Twitter at PFF underscore Steve. Steve, we appreciate you joining us here on this edition of the Papa Cast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.